introduce you to my friend Nick. Nick is slightly older than me. He's uh, 34 years old and is a doctor in London. He's originally from Australia. He has travelled widely. He's a finely toned um, physique through many hours spent at the local gym and an active social life. Nick's job is concerned with physical health. He does wardrobes, he advises his patients on healthy living and he subscribes to uh, athletics uh, magazines, uh, Runners Weekly, that kind of thing. He would list Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People as one of the most influential books on his life and he has a whole shelf full of books on healing, medicine and popular psychology. You might think if ever there was a model of healthy, wholesome living, it is Nick. However, he would be the first to admit that he didn't actually feel whole. His relationships at work and socially are characterised by insecurity and conflict. He would say that he doesn't really get on particularly well with his father or his brother. He would say that he has no close friendships. And as for his relationships with uh, m- members of the opposite sex, you don't even want to go there. You see, the, the quest for wholeness and what it really means to be free from some of the brokenness in the world are issues that are right at the heart of the life of my friend Nick. And actually, I think they're right at the heart of all of our lives, if only we would admit it. You see, for lots of us, we look as if we have so much and things often appear as if they're going so well. But yet there always seems to be something not there, something not quite right, some kind of a disconnect somewhere, something missing. That sense of wholeness, that sense of well-rounded, genuine, authentic humanity with good um, relationships with God, ourselves and with others. So we maybe think that if only we could improve our job just slightly, or if only if we had that perfect spouse, or if we had any spouse at all, or if we had this uh, model ideal family with uh, well-educated kids with good jobs and so on, then, then our lives might just be complete. Or maybe we think if we can just stick to our New Year's resolutions and stick to that a diet and lose some weight, or, or like Nick, if we can visit the gym more regularly, then we might feel good, we might feel a lot better about ourselves. I think um, lots of these issues of wholeness are especially acute at this time of year with Christmas and New Year going on. I think often there's so much emphasis on friends and family and feeling warm and, and fuzzy and good at this time of year that often all it really does is reminds us of our own aloneness, our own failure in relationships and our dysfunctionality. The uh, main character in this story here in John chapter 5, this man at the um, pool, is someone who is an expert in lack of wholeness. In fact, he is a kind of lack of wholeness in microcosm. To begin with, we are told that he is sick. When we meet him um, there in uh, verse 5, the first thing that we are told about him is that he has been ill 
for 38 years. No, we don't know exactly what was wrong with him, but from the fact that he was uh, lying down, he obviously had problems uh, moving, he was down near this pool with healing properties. It seems as if he was handicapped or, or had some kind of uh, paralysis. Then, um, secondly, we discover that he's lonely. There was this local uh, legend that has it that an angel would disturb the waters from time to time and operate on a kind of first-come, first-served basis where the first person who could reach the water would be cured of whatever illness or particular ailment they happened to have. However, the problem with uh, this guy here was that he had no friends. He had no one to help him into the water when it was disturbed. He was lonely. And then, thirdly, he has a wrong view of God. He could see no further than this uh, superstitious legend about the angel stirring the waters. He seems to have had no concept at all of a personal God who lived in heaven, who loved him and was capable of doing something radical to intervene in his situation. That kind of thing just obviously wasn't featuring on this guy's radar screen. And so he just lay there day after day, languishing in brokenness and frustration, obviously seeing people reach the water ahead of him and maybe being healed waiting to be made whole, but consistently feeling broken and disappointed and down. However, what he discovered, and what we will discover as well through this scripture passage, is that God has done something radical about the brokenness in the world. Through Jesus' interaction with this man here, we will see how we can be made truly whole, how we can experience that real, genuine, well-rounded hue that we were originally um, created to have. What we will see is that Jesus can make us whole, but we have to be willing to let him. So then, three important steps to wholeness. Number one, we've got to want to be whole. Jesus says that um, first base in any process of becoming whole is to want to be whole. And I think that's why he tries to get the response that he does from the um, paralytic by asking the question at the end of verse 6. I'm sure you uh, noticed it there as we read it uh, together. We are told that Jesus sees this paralytic lying there and then asks him, do you want to get well? Now the word here that, that is used for well is actually very, a general word and means sound or healthy or whole. We aren't told why Jesus um, singles this guy out from all the others, but what we do know is that he starts off, he initiates the conversation with this slightly odd question. Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be well? Now we probably think that Jesus is winner of the Most Obvious Question Award 2004. Um, After all, this man's been lying there ill for 38 years, and yet Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? I mean, wouldn't this be just like walking into the long-term care ward of the local hospital where someone has been lying there suffering for their whole life and asking, would you like to be well again? I mean, worse than crazy, isn't this actually insensitive? If so, why do you think Jesus does it? Why does Jesus ask this guy, do you want to get well? Well, I think one of the main reasons is that for many of us, We are so used to our lives as they are 
that to change at all is a scary or frightening prospect. We've maybe got so used to our characters, maybe our constant gossip, our constant criticism, those attitudes of resentment and so on. We've got so used to our characters, maybe even our bad habits too, and ways of doing things that we don't want to give them up, even although we know that they are ultimately harmful and are actually hurting us. Even in the case of illnesses, especially a different psychological illnesses or addictions, that kind of thing, human beings can, be, can become so I identified with them and so I, I identified with the problems that they have that on one level they don't actually want to get well because they've become so used to things as they are and so comfortable and, and secure with how lives are at the moment. I've been helping to lead an alpha course at my, at my church and one of the people in my group was talking about this just before I came away. Uh, Matthew has just recently become a Christian and he was sharing with the group how Jesus used to be for him just a, a, a dude with sandals in that time-honored North American way but um, now he was uh, someone who was real and living and was actually changing his life. This is what he said three weeks ago. Sometimes I just don't want to get rid of the rubbish in my life. I know it is bad stuff but I just like it too much. Some of the things I've been doing, I've been doing for so long that I'm not sure I want to give them up. They've become part of what it means to be me, part of my identity. They are so much part of who I am that I'm not even sure that I actually want to change. It's all just too scary. You see, to someone like him, Jesus' question is one of the most relevant and life-changing questions that he faces. Do you want to get well? Are you ready for the difference that I, Jesus, am going to make? Are you prepared for a complete overhaul, a new identity and a new life with me? Or would you rather stay as you are? Um, when I was in my final year at university, I had no idea at all what I wanted to do with my life. Everybody else was um, applying for jobs with uh, all these big companies and uh, multinational corporations and that kind of thing. So I figured I would just go along with it, filling out application forms and uh, setting off CVs and attending interviews. But the weird thing that I could never quite understand is that I could never get beyond a first interview. On a paper, I humbly thought I looked great. I had a good education. I played sports. I was articulate, I was clever, I'd done lots of extracurricular activities, I got things to get on reasonably well with everyone who I met, I had a new suit and a trendy tie. I, I'm sh I was sure that if I had the a training, I could have easily done some of the jobs that I was applying for. I had lots of potential, but yet the weird thing was, I could never get any more than a first round interview. And I thought, what's the story? Why is this happening? And a number of years later, I realized the reason why. You see, at the end of the day, I just didn't want any of the jobs I had actually applied for. The question that I dreaded the most was, so John, why do you want to be an accountant? <laughs> because I knew that I just didn't have an answer. There was no conceivable reason why I wanted to be an, an accountant. 
so the truth of the matter was that I was never going to get a job in an accountancy firm because it was blindingly obvious to the guy interviewing me that I just wasn't interested in accountancy at all. You see, rule number one in life is that you actually have to want something in order to have any chance at all of getting it. That's the same with sports competitions. It's the same in jobs. It's the same recovering from habits or addictions. And it's also true spiritually. We have to want to get well. We have to want to change. And so Jesus asked us this morning, straight on, do you want to get well? Do you want to be whole? You see, if the answer to that question is no, then we are never going to be whole. If the answer to that question is yes, then the next thing that we have to do is uh, move on to step number two, which is to realize that only Jesus can make us whole. The second thing that we need to do if we are going to become whole is to recognize that nothing except Jesus can ever make us whole. And we do learn some important lessons about Jesus in in this story. First of all, Jesus cares. If you look at verse 6, we are told that Jesus saw this man lying there and learned that he had been there for 38 years. Jesus uh, noticed what the problem was. His heart went out to this chap and um, Jesus learned about his situation. He noticed him in his terrible state and went to the trouble of finding out about his predicament. Jesus cares. Then, secondly, Jesus is powerful. I'm sure you uh, noticed that Jesus healed this guy simply by the power of his word. He looks at him, he says, get up, take off your mat, and walk. And the guy gets up, rolls off his sleeping mat, and walks away. The healing is immediate. There's no time delay between writing out the prescription and taking it to the Jerusalem branch of Boots the Chemist. There was no month-long course of uh, physiotherapy for his withered muscles and diseased legs. This cure is instantaneous and miraculous. Jesus is powerful. Come to think of it, it's the kind of thing that only God can do, isn't it? So then thirdly, Jesus is God. John leaves us in no doubt about this at all. If you look down just... uh, slightly further on than where we finished reading in verse 18 John tells us that the reason that that Jesus was being persecuted was because he was calling God his own father thus making himself equal with God and then in verse 21 moving down further he says that just like the father the son can randomly give life to whoever he chooses just like Jesus did by raising this paralytic You see, the reason that John records any of the stories he does about Jesus is so that we can know his identity. And here, there is no doubt, Jesus is God who is sent on an intergalactic mission from the Father to bring wholeness to a broken planet. And we know that, we know that's who he really is because he healed lame people when he arrived. Then, fourthly, Jesus is superior to any of the alternatives on offer. Um, First of all, we see the superiority of Jesus in relation to New Age and superstition. 
this uh, legend about the angel and the medicinal properties of the waters had been this man's only hope for 38 long years. But it had failed. It had disappointed him. It had let him down. What this man's old religion hadn't done in 38 years, Jesus does in three seconds flat and one line of Greek. There is just no comparison at all. Jesus is superior to paganism and Eastern spirituality. It's worth um, stopping here for a word of application. You know, at, the, at the moment, some of this stuff is really huge. And lots of people are into it, but the truth is that crystals and fortune-telling, landlines and living at one with your living space, or whatever it might actually be, those things are never going to bring wholeness and life. Only Jesus can do that. He is superior to New Age remedies and superstitions. Then we also see the superiority of Jesus to human or man-made religion. After he is healed, we uh, immediately read how the Jewish authorities pick this man up for carrying his mat on the Sabbath day. You see, they don't care so much about the fact that he's been healed as they do about preserving their own religious culture and uh, traditions and little laws that they have made up. You see, the truth is that this man wasn't actually breaking any of the Old Testament commands. But what he was breaking was some of the uh, smaller laws that the Jewish religious leaders had uh, made up to try and uh, preserve the uh, original uh, ideas and force of the Mosaic law. You see, again, there's a huge contrast with Jesus. The religious authorities don't really care about this man. But Jesus does. He cares for him and he heals him with one line. And so we see again that Jesus is superior to us and our human, man-made religions and traditions. One of the um, great things about living in the USA is that I get to see films long before they come out over here. So I recently went to see the film Alexander, which I think is uh, due out here this coming week. And there's one incredibly moving scene in that film where after one of the main war sequences, one of the big ancient uh, battles that Alexander fought, uh, in which he's walking through his camp um, after that happened and he's walking through the kind of hospital encampment area and uh, there are obviously people lying there um, groaning and injured slashed up with swords and stabbed with uh, spears and those uh, chariots with the big uh, spikes that come out the um, wheels just the kind of terrible horrific um, injuries that you would expect from that kind of ancient warfare the ground is uh, splattered with uh, blood and without going into too many details folk have limbs hanging off and um, they're lying there dying and wounded and Alexander sees one person there who's injured and he uh, approaches him and asks him do you feel brave and he then holds his hand as someone uh, delivers the, a death blow to his skull with a hammer to put him out of his misery and I thought what a contrast to Jesus, one of the most powerful human beings who has ever lived, can only walk among the wounded and ask if they feel brave and then watch as they die. Jesus, on the other hand, walks among the wounded, asks them if they want to be well and then raises them with a word. 
You see, there's just no comparison at all. Jesus is the greatest. Only he can make us whole, superior to any other human being who has ever lived. And then the wholeness that Jesus offers really is the real thing. He doesn't just offer physical wholeness like we see here, but real, deep down, lasting, spiritual healing and cleansing at a much more significant level. There is a death on the cross, there is forgiveness from sins, the removal of guilt, access to God as our Heavenly Father, the strength of the Holy Spirit to help us live a new life, and a return to that original, genuine humanity that we were originally intended to have right at the beginning of the world when he made us. And then there's ultimate wholeness too, looking forward to heaven where there is no disease, no illnesses, no sicknesses, no paralysis and we will be totally perfect without sin and free from death and sadness of every kind. All those gruesome effects of uh, evil in our world, all the uglies will be finally reversed through the power of Jesus' death on the cross. You see, here's the one who makes us, uh, us whole. Here's the one who has restored things, who has made all things, things right, who has put the broken world where we are back together again. He gives us inner peace a sense of security, a new sense of identity, something outside of ourselves supposed to take our sense of worth and value from, and the certainty of heaven when we die. You see, nothing else even comes close. One of the um, questions that people occasionally ask me is, John, do you have any regrets about your time at Charlotte Chapel? And one regret I think I do have is that I think at times in my preaching, I didn't make Jesus attractive enough I kind of assumed that everybody would know how great Jesus actually was. But you see, Jesus really is the greatest. Without him, life is simply brutal. The alternatives are all shockers. New Age religion is utterly powerless. And man-made religion is uncaring. Jesus is both powerful and caring. Only he can make us whole because he is God. He is God's radical intervention to bring wholeness to our broken world. Therefore, if we want to be whole, we need to reject the false alternatives that are on offer and trust only in him. And then thinking about what Jesus has done and how great he is, leads us to thinking about our response and how we as individuals can get on board with his program. And so thirdly, we see not only that we have to want to be whole, nor that only Jesus can make us whole, but also that whole people turn away from sin. So thirdly then, whole people turn away from sin. The um, final thing that we need to realise is that there is a moral dimension to wholeness that we often neglect. Part of what it means to be a whole person is to get rid of the rubbish in our lives. Um, if you look right down at verse 14, we read that um, later on in the story, Jesus meets the man who he healed again. This time, he finds him in the temple courts, which were not far from the uh, sheep pool, where he was uh, originally healed. Um, and Jesus reminds this man that he has been made well, and then tells him to stop sinning, or something worse might happen to him. I think this is probably a warning about future judgment. You see there is actually something worse than being sick for 38 years. And that is being stuck in sin for 38 years. And Jesus says that if this man doesn't get that 
sorted out, then he will be in far more trouble long term than when he started. You see, this man is now physically well, but yet that is not real wholeness. You see, the truth is, you can be fit enough to run the New York Marathon and yet still not be whole. You see, real, authentic, genuine wholeness involves turning away from sin and starting to live a new life with Jesus Christ. Actually, without Jesus Christ and without a relationship with God, it is not physically possible to be whole. It just doesn't work. If this man doesn't enter into that wholeness, new life with Jesus, then he doesn't really have any wholeness at all. We can never be truly whole until we turn away from sin and get rid of the rubbish in our lives. There's a well-known story in England about a lady who lived on the street in London pushing around a, a trolley filled with uh, plastic bags full of rubbish. You know, uh, empty Coke cans, crisp packets, things for um, recycling, that kind of thing. Um, she wasn't even a particularly nice lady. Um, she was homeless and she would ask for money and then be rude and uh, abusive to anyone who wouldn't give it to her. As a result, most of the other people didn't like her all that much and when they were walking down the street used to keep their distance from her. One day, however, she died and the local minister had to take her funeral. At first, he wasn't expecting many people there. After all, who would come to the funeral of an old homeless lady who had been rude her whole life long? But when the actual funeral happened, he was astounded and surprised to see lots and lots of people turn out. There were relatives there from Australia and the USA and all kinds of people from London as well. You see, the thing was that this lady had inherited an enormous sum of money only a few years previously. She actually had a, a flat in Kensington in central London, several grand masters by famous artists and a whole lot of money in, in the bank, well over a million pounds. The minister finally summoned up the courage to ask one of the people at the funeral why did she live on the street when she had inherited so much? Why did she choose to live pushing that trolley filled with rubbish when she had inherited so much? The answer that he received was that she just didn't want to leave the way of life that she knew. She just didn't want to leave the way of life that she knew. And you know, that is so like us. We have this amazing inheritance stored up for us. Jesus has brought us forgiveness and the hope of heaven and a new life now. Millions upon millions of pounds in the bank. And yet we prefer to live with the stinking bags of garbage and a life on the street rather than enter into our inheritance. We have all these great things, but yet we just refuse to leave the dirt in our life behind simply because we don't want to get rid of the, of the sinful life and those ugly character traits that we've become so accustomed to. You see, when Jesus says to stop sinning here, I don't think he has a specific individual sin in mind that this man had committed. Rather, I think he's telling us generally to um, stop leading the kind of life that's characterized and ruled and governed by sin and to start living a life where he is in control instead. So this means that the command to stop sinning will mean something different probably for each of us here. I guess for some it could be a, a life um, of back 
fighting or character assassination that we have to give up on. For others, it might simply be living our life our own way and ignoring God and doing our own thing. Maybe cheating or lying. Sexual ethics are included too. I once spoke to someone about Jesus and, and, and he said, John, I hear what you're saying about Jesus and I know that he died for me, but at the end of the day, I just want to keep on sleeping with my girlfriend. Jesus says, stop sinning. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. And so he pleads with us all, get rid of the rubbish in your life. Not only is it unpleasant, it is hurting you and destroying you. Why do you want to hold on to it any longer? Let the stuff go. Anything that I, Jesus, want you to give up, it's for your own good. It's because that stuff's hurting you. You've got a beautiful flat in the middle of town. You've got money in, in the bank and a great inheritance. Come and live with me. Get rid of the garbage. Get rid of the uh, rubbish and start asking me to run your life instead. So then, we've seen three things that we need to do if we are going to be whole people. We have to want to be whole. We have to realize that only Jesus can make us whole. And we must turn our backs on sin and start to go Jesus' way instead. The uh, message of this passage for us is that Jesus can make us whole, but we must be willing to let him. Jesus can make us whole, but we must ask him to come in. We must allow him uh, into our lives. As far as we know, this man in the story never did get whole. In fact, according to the last verse that we read, verse 15, the very first thing he did was alert the authorities to the fact that Jesus had made him well, which is really surefire evidence that he hadn't truly understood who Jesus was or what Jesus was um, saying and talking about. And so the question is for us, what about us? What will we do? Are we willing to be made whole? Are we willing to recognize and acknowledge that only Jesus can bring true wholeness to our lives? Are we willing to get rid of the rubbish from our lives and trust Jesus to make us into whole people and fully integrated human beings? My friend Nick, who we started with, has answered yes to those questions. Like all of us, he has a long way to go, but he is on the road and moving forwards with Jesus. Jesus can make us whole. The question is, are we willing to let him? Why not start 2005, not with yet another set of failed resolutions, but by asking Jesus to come and heal you, to come into your life and bring the the wholeness and healing and integrity that only he can bring. Jesus can make us whole. Are you willing to let him? Let's pray.